This year, Peloton is gifting you their best offer of the season. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Shop from a variety of accessories such as cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, and more. Whether you have 10 minutes to spare for a strength class or 30 minutes for a running or cycling class, there's a workout that works for you with music that is truly iconic. So don't miss out on Peloton's best offer of the season. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. Hi, my name is Rivka, and together with Wikipedia, I'll help you fall asleep. Get cozy and relax. I'll read out loud to you. Today, Voynich Manuscript. Manuscript with meaning, or just gibberish. The Voynich Manuscript is an illustrated codex handwritten in an otherwise unknown writing system referred to as Voynichese. The vellum on which it is written has been carbon dated to the early 15th century, and stylistic analysis indicates it may have been composed in Italy during the Italian Renaissance. The origins, authorship, and purpose of the manuscript are debated. Various hypotheses have been suggested, including that it is an otherwise unrecorded script for a natural language or constructed language, an unread code, cipher, or other form of cryptography, or simply a meaningless hoax. The manuscript currently consists of around 240 pages, but there is evidence that additional pages are missing. Some pages are foldable sheets of varying size. Most of the pages have fantastical illustrations or diagrams, some crudely colored, with sections of the manuscript showing people, fictitious plants, astrological symbols, etc. The text is written from left to right. The manuscript is named after Wilfred Voynich, a Polish book dealer who purchased it in 1912. Since 1969, it has been held in Yale University's Beinecke Rare Book and Manuscript Library. The Voynich Manuscript has been studied by many professional and amateur cryptographers, including American and British codebreakers from both World War I and World War II. The manuscript has never been demonstrably deciphered, and none of the many hypotheses proposed over the last hundred years have been independently verified. The mystery of its meaning and origin has excited the popular imagination, making it the subject of study and speculation. The codicology, or physical characteristics of the manuscript, has been studied by researchers. The manuscript measures 23.5 by 16.2 by 5 centimeters with hundreds of vellum pages collected into 18 choirs. The total number of pages is around 240, but the exact number depends on how the manuscript's unusual foldouts are counted. The choirs have been numbered from 1 to 20 in various locations, using numerals consistent with the 1400s, 
and the top right-hand corner of each recto page has been numbered from 1 to 116, using numerals of a later date. From the various numbering gaps in the choirs and pages, it seems likely that, in the past, the manuscript had at least 272 pages in 20 choirs, some of which were already missing when Wilfred Voynich acquired the manuscript in 1912. There is strong evidence that many of the books by folios were reordered at various points in its history, and that the original page order may well have been quite different from what it is today. Text Every page in the manuscript contains text, mostly in an unidentified language, but some have extraneous writing in Latin script. The bulk of the text in the 240-page manuscript is written in an unknown script, running left to right. Most of the characters are composed of one or two simple pen strokes. There exists some dispute as to whether certain characters are distinct but a script of 20 to 25 characters would account for virtually all of the text. The exceptions are a few dozen rarer characters that occur only once or twice each. There is no obvious punctuation. Much of the text is written in a single column in the body of the page, with a slightly ragged right margin and paragraph divisions, and sometimes with stars in the left margin. Other text occurs in charts or as labels associated with illustrations. There are no indications of any errors or corrections made at any place in the document. The ductus flows smoothly, giving the impression that the symbols were not enciphered. There is no delay between characters, as would normally be expected in written encoded text. Transcription Various transcription alphabets have been created to equate Voynich characters with Latin characters to help with cryptanalysis, such as the extensible Voynich alphabet. The first major one was created by the First Study Group, led by cryptographer William F. Friedman in the 1940s, where each line of the manuscript was transcribed to an IBM punch card to make it machine-readable. Statistical Patterns The text consists of over 170,000 characters, with spaces dividing the text into about 35,000 groups of varying length, usually referred to as words or word tokens. 8,114 of these words are considered unique word types. The structure of these words seems to follow phonological or orthographic laws of some sort. For example, certain characters must appear in each word, like English vowels. Some characters never follow others, or some may be doubled or tripled, but others may not. The distribution of letters within words is also rather peculiar. Some characters occur only at the beginning of a word, some only at the end, and some always in the middle section. Many researchers have commented upon the highly regular structure of the words. Professor Gonzalo Rubio, an expert in ancient languages at Pennsylvania State University, stated, quote, The things we know as grammatical markers, things that occur commonly at the beginning or end of words, 
such as S or D in our language, and that are used to express grammar, never appear in the middle of words in the Voynich manuscript. That's unheard of for any Indo-European, Hungarian, or Finnish language. Stephen Vonfeld studied statistical properties of the distribution of letters and their correlations, and found that under that respect, Voynichese is more similar to the Mandarin Chinese pinyin text of the records of the Grand Historian than to the text of works from European languages. Although the numerical differences between Voynichese and Mandarin Chinese pinyin look larger than those between Mandarin Chinese pinyin and European languages. Practically no words have fewer than two letters or more than ten. Some words occur in only certain sections or in only a few pages. Others occur throughout the entire manuscript. Few repetitions occur among the thousand or so labels attached to the illustrations. There are instances where the same common word appears up to three times in a row. Words that differ by only one letter also repeat with unusual frequency, causing single-substitution alphabet deciphering's to yield babel-like text. In 1962, cryptanalysis Elizabeth Friedman described such statistical analyses as, quote, doomed to utter frustration, end quote. In 2014, a team led by Diego Amancio of the University of Sao Paulo published a study using statistical methods to analyze the relationships of the words in the text. Instead of trying to find the meaning, Amancio's team looked for connections and clusters of words. By measuring the frequency and intermittence of words, Amancio claimed to identify the text's keywords and produced three-dimensional models of the text's structure and word frequencies. The team concluded that, in 90% of cases, the Voynich systems are similar to those of other known books, indicating that the text is an actual language, not random gibberish. The use of the framework was exemplified with the analysis of the Voynich manuscript, with the final conclusion that it differs from a random sequence of words being compatible with natural languages. Even though our approach is not aimed at deciphering Voynich, it was capable of providing key words that could be helpful for decipherers in the future. Linguists Claire Bowern and Luke Lindemann have applied statistical methods to the Voynich manuscript, comparing it to other languages and encodings of languages, and have found both similarities and differences in statistical properties. Character sequences in languages are measured using a metric called H2, or second-order conditional entropy. Natural languages tend to have an H2 between 3 and 4, but Voynichese has a much more predictable character sequence and an H2 around 2. However, at higher levels of organization, the Voynich manuscript displays properties similar to those of natural languages. Based on this, Bowern dismisses theories that the manuscript is gibberish. It is likely to be an encoded natural language, or a constructed language. 
Bowern also concludes that the statistical properties of the Voynich manuscript are not consistent with the use of a substitution cipher or polyalphabetic cipher. As noted in Bowern's review, multiple scribes or hands may have written the manuscript, possibly using two methods of encoding at least one natural language. The language Voynich A appears in the herbal and pharmaceutical parts of the manuscript. The language known as Voynich B appears in the balneological section, some parts of the medicinal and herbal sections, and the astrological section. The most common vocabulary items of Voynich A and Voynich B are substantially different. Topic modeling of the manuscript suggests that pages identified as written by a particular scribe may relate to a different topic. In terms of morphology, if visual spaces in the manuscript are assumed to indicate word breaks, there are consistent patterns that suggest a three-part word structure of prefix, root or midfix, and suffix. Certain characters and character combinations are more likely to appear in particular fields. There are minor variations between Voynich A and Voynich B. The predictability of certain letters in a relatively small number of combinations in certain parts of words appears to explain the low entropy of Voynichese. In the absence of obvious punctuation, some variants of the same word appear to be specific to typographical positions, such as the beginning of a paragraph, line, or sentence. The Voynich word frequencies of both variants appear to conform to a Zipfian distribution, supporting the idea that the text has linguistic meaning. This has implications for the encoding methods most likely to have been used, since some forms of encoding interfere with the Zipfian distribution. Measures of the proportional frequency of the ten most common words is similar to those of the Semitic, Iranian, and Germanic languages. Another measure of morphological complexity, the moving average type-token ratio index, is similar to Iranian, Germanic, and Romance languages. Purpose The overall impression given by the surviving leaves of the manuscript is that it was meant to serve as a pharmacopoeia or to address topics in medieval or early modern medicine. However, the puzzling details of the illustrations have fueled many theories about the book's origin, the contents of its text, and the purpose for which it was intended. The first section of the book is almost certainly herbal, but attempts have failed to identify the plants, either with actual specimens or with the stylized drawings of contemporaneous herbals. Only a few of the plant drawings can be identified with reasonable certainty, such as a wild pansy and the maidenhair fern. The herbal pictures that match pharmacological sketches appear to be clean copies of them, except that missing parts were completed with improbable-looking details. In fact, many of the plant drawings in the herbal section seem to be composite. The roots of one species have been fastened to the leaves of another, 
with flowers from a third. The basins and tubes in the balneological section are sometimes interpreted as implying a connection to alchemy, yet they bear little obvious resemblance to the alchemical equipment of the period. Astrological considerations frequently played a prominent role in herb gathering, bloodletting, and other medical procedures common during the likeliest dates of the manuscript. However, interpretation remains speculative, apart from the obvious zodiac symbols and one diagram possibly showing the classical planets. History Much of the early history of the book is unknown, though the text and illustrations are all characteristically European. In 2009, University of Arizona researchers radiocarbon-dated the manuscript's vellum to between 1404 and 1438. In addition, Macron Associates in Westmont, Illinois, found that the paints in the manuscript were of materials to be expected from that period of European history. There have been erroneous reports that Macron Associates indicated that much of the ink was added not long after the creation of the parchment, but their official report contains no statement of this. The first confirmed owner was Georg Baresch, a 17th-century alchemist from Prague. Baresch was apparently puzzled about this sphinx that had been, quote, taking up space uselessly in his library, end quote, for many years. He learned that Jesuit scholar Athanasius Kircher from the Collegio Romano had published a Coptic dictionary and claimed to have deciphered the Egyptian hieroglyphs. Baresh twice sent a sample copy of the script to Kircher in Rome, asking for clues. The 1639 letter from Baresh to Kircher is the earliest known mention of the manuscript to have been confirmed. Whether Kircher answered the request or not is not known, but he was apparently interested enough to try to acquire the book, which Baresh refused to yield. Upon Baresh's death, the manuscript passed to his friend Jan Marek Marcy, then rector of Charles University in Prague. A few years later, Marcy sent the book to Kircher, his longtime friend and correspondent. Marcy also sent Kircher a cover letter that was still attached to the book when Voynich acquired it. Reverend and distinguished sir, father in Christ. This book, bequeathed to me by an intimate friend, I destined for you, my very dear Athanasius, as soon as it came into my possession for I was convinced that it could be read by no one except yourself. The former owner of this book asked your opinion by letter, copying and sending you a portion of the book from which he believed you would be able to read the remainder. But he at that time refused to send the book itself. To its deciphering he devoted unflagging toil, as is apparent from attempts of his which I send you herewith and he relinquished hope only with his life. But his toil was in vain, for such sphinxes as these obey no one but their master, Kircher. Accept now this token, such as it is and long overdue though it be, of my affection for you, and burst through its bars, if there are any, 
with your wonted success. Dr. Raphael, a tutor in the Bohemian language to Ferdinand III, then King of Bohemia, told me that said book belonged to the Emperor Rudolf, and that he presented to the bearer who brought him the book six hundred ducats. He believed the author was Roger Bacon, the Englishman. On this point, I suspend judgment. It is your place to define for us what view we should take thereon, to whose favor and kindness I unreservedly commit myself and remain. At the command of your reverence, Ioannis Marcus Marcy of Kronland, Prague, 19th August, 1665. The Dr. Raphael is believed to be Raphael Sobihird Minishovsky, and the sum would be about two kilograms of gold. While Wilfred Voynich took Raphael's claim at face value, the Bacon authorship theory has been largely discredited. However, a piece of evidence supporting Rudolph's ownership is the now almost invisible name or signature on the first page of the book of Jacobus Horkaki de Tepenes, the head of Rudolph's botanical gardens in Prague. Rudolph died still owing money to de Tepenes, and it is possible that de Tepenes may have been given the book in partial payment of that debt. No records of the book for the next 200 years have been found, but in all likelihood, it was stored with the rest of Kircher's correspondence in the library of the Collegio Romano. It probably remained there until the troops of Victor Emmanuel II of Italy captured the city in 1870 and annexed the Papal States. The new Italian government decided to confiscate many properties of the church, including the library of the Collegio. Many books in the university's library were hastily transferred to the personal libraries of its faculty just before this happened, according to investigations by Xavier Sechaldi and others, and those books were exempt from confiscation. Kircher's correspondence was among those books, and so apparently was the Voynich manuscript, as it still bears the ex libris of Petrus Bex head of the Jesuit order and the university's rector at the time. Bex's private library was moved to the Villa Mondragoni Frascati, a large country palace near Rome, that had been bought by the Society of Jesus in 1866 and housed the headquarters of the Jesuit Scilieri College. In 1903, the Society of Jesus was short of money, and decided to sell some of its holdings discreetly to the Vatican Library. The sale took place in 1912, but not all of the manuscripts listed for sale ended up going to the Vatican. Wilfred Voynich acquired 30 of these manuscripts, among them the one which now bears his name. He spent the next seven years attempting to interest scholars in deciphering the script, while he worked to determine the origins of the manuscript. In 1930, the manuscript was inherited after Wilfred's death by his widow, Ethel Voynich, author of the novel The Gadfly and daughter of mathematician George Boole. She died in 1960 and left the manuscript to her close friend, Anne Nill. 
1961, Nil sold the book to antique book dealer Hans P. Krauss. Krauss was unable to find a buyer and donated the manuscript to Yale University in 1969, where it was catalogued as MS-408, sometimes also referred to as Beinecke MS-408. Hey, still awake? If you like this podcast, please hit subscribe and leave a rating in your podcast app. The podcast is available under Creative Commons Attribution. This podcast is produced and edited by Schönlein Media, read by me, Rivka.